You are listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Game, set, podcast on the Sports Podcasting Network. You seem at home on the court. Let's say that I've played a role. And welcome to Game, Set, Podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins along with Kevin Laramay. This is our midweek check-in in the first week of the Australian Open. Lots to talk about. The retirement of one of the uh, game's greats, uh, one of the Aussies' favorites, uh, and uh, a little bit of Canadian news and some some other stuff to talk about as well. There's always a lot to talk about in the world of tennis. Kevin, how are you doing today before we get going? Let me ask you that. I am doing great. Elated, even. Uh, last night was the beginning of my uh, doubles tournament in my tennis league. And uh, wow, what a great first victory. It was our first game as a team. And Dwayne, I don't want to bore the listeners with my tennis exploit, but yesterday we were down 2-5. It was my service. And I turned it around for us, and we eventually won 7-5. An epic battle that will be remembered for the ages by myself probably only. But what a great game. It was probably the best game of tennis that I've ever been part of. And uh, I still feel great this morning and watching tennis after when I came done playing this Australian Open. I was like, wow, uh, what a great game. I just love to play and watch that game. Fair enough. This is the uh, Game Set Podcast is the only podcast that will give you uh, breaking news of the Montreal Intermediate Tennis League. So that that is something that we uh, we can give you that other podcasts can't, Kevin. Exactly. Hey, maybe I'll raise a trophy this year. Who knows? There you go. I, yeah, I talk about my uh, indoor soccer league on the, our soccer podcast, so why not? All right. Uh, that's uh, no need to take a break. Let's just jump right into it today. And, and we'll start with Leighton Hewitt, who, of course, uh, retired yesterday, uh, lost in straight sets. Uh, he's a guy that, that had a, a great career that uh, the peak of his career was a long time ago now, but certainly hung around. Always a fan favorite, a favorite in Australia. Probably hung around. Well, he did hang around just to, to get get this one last game in kind of an old breed player too. the way he kind of did the counter punch instead did in the baseline. It was just a fun guy to watch. And, uh, you know, in the era where we have, you know, in our Canadians, the worst for it, (laughs) the one hit and out rally kind of guys, a a fun player to watch. And I think a lot of people will miss him. Um, your thoughts on, uh, on his career, Kevin? No, a two major tournament winner. And, uh, he was a finalist as well for a couple of grand slam is, he had a great career. He was known as a change event. What he means is he brought the baseline mentality to the forefront. He was that generation early on in the Federer time. And he's that he's a relic of that generation, basically. So he played against the Sampras. So he took like the mantle of the Sampras's of this world and brought it to forward to the Nadal's and to the Djokovic. So he, he was a change event where he saw maybe three different eras of the tennis, of modern tennis in his playing career. He was there in the late 90s, early 2000s, in the mid-2000s, and now. So he saw the three different era of our recent memories where we saw the baseline power with the the Sampras and the serve, serve volley, Federer, and we saw after the the speed and the power of the Nadal and now the Djokovic, the consistency and the baseline pushing. And so we see all those different eras of tennis, and Lady Newitt was a part of all of them. 
Yeah, and even late in his career, he was a guy that just because of his style and the way he played and his experience and his brains, he could every so often step up and make some noise, particularly in the majors when he sort of brought his quality up, got his motivation behind it. He was always a tricky guy to play right to the end and, uh, you know, kind of surprising that he, uh, he'd folded in, but, uh, you know, his, his peak years were long past. Uh, quickly, uh, he, of course, won the 2001 U.S. Open, 2002 Wimbledon. He was the Davis Cup champion as part of Australia in 1999 and 2003. Probably the disappointment of his career, both a disappointment and a highlight, would be losing the final of the Aussie Open in 2005. Uh, had won the first set uh, 6-1 there and then managed to lose three straight sets from there. That has to be something that uh, sticks in his claw to this day to not have be able to win the hometown one, but or the home country one, I should say. Yeah. But uh, yeah, nonetheless, that's a great career with the, with those peak years and just that longevity. I mean, it's, it's that longevity helps the bank account too, I'm sure. He's a, <laughs> he's a long career and a, a lot of winnings there and uh, a guy that I think most of us will miss, a fiery guy out there. It was fun to watch in a lot of different ways. Uh, you, you spoke to those different generations. He kind of had the the attitude and the sort of the the back and roll attitude, kind of. Yeah, the mouth of, of the of that generation, which we don't see as much now that they have the of the replays and the the calls aren't aren't under dispute as much. You don't necessarily get that character stuff well, out there. To anymore. be fair, you don't have referees with characters as well as back in the days. If you remember yeah. in the John McEnroe days, well, the referees were not necessarily. Uh, letting anything slip they were loved to confrontation they loved to 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 basically go at it with McEnroe and that's a little different we saw though uh with Joe Wilfred Tsonga in the first week of the Australian Open kind of a long argument with the referee that lasted about at least four minutes both were shouting they were pointing at things like no anyways uh I had the image of McEnroe in his hair and the headband doing the same maybe 20-30 years ago now yeah, I used to love watching that as a kid. Uh, Jimmy Connors was one of my favorite back then. I, I later learned that Jimmy Connors was like a bit of an ass, <laughs> but to he a kid, so watching. nice though because he was a, the, the more posed one compared yeah. to McEnroe. McEnroe just was all pure it, and I, I love listening to, to John McEnroe now. Of oh, course, yeah. on the TED, uh, broadcast, he's a he's a brilliant analysis, and that's a, Him a and guy Lin- that's really- Lindsay Davenport as well. Both together when they're doing Limbo- Wimbledon or any big major tournament is a really uh, informative uh, broadcasting. Yes, I once stood uh, about a foot and a half from from Davenport. Uh, she she was a very athletic woman. I'll say that. Anyway, she's tall uh, too, right? Yeah, that's what I mean. She's very strong. Is what what I was getting at. Uh, that's the great thing about going to the those Masters events. Is even though there's a lot of big big names there, you can still get really close to the athletes. But that's a topic for a different day. Um, what last thought? We were talking about the replays. I don't think anything's ever proven referees or, or lines people or, or officials of sports so good as those referees. They get them right night. I, it's crazy. I just saw it now. Like the, the the linesman just called and it barely touched the outside of the line and they called it in. The guy called it for the the, the, the hawk, the, the hawk line, the hawk eye. And right away, it shows that it touched maybe a millimeter off the line. So know. how good are they when it's millimeters and they can still spot it white on blue? Wow. It's probably why they're they're more mellow now. It's like, see, we told you so. Yeah. <laughs> Told you we were good. Now we have the proof, and that's why. That's one of the things why uh, I always uh, was always wondering why it took so long for other sports to embrace instant replay or goal line technology or line technology like tennis. Because you got a blueprint here. It shows that the referees are good. So are you that worried that your referees are not that good? Or come on, it it, it shows that your referees are going to be are going to make them look even better. 
Yeah, the tennis has nailed it though in terms of not interrupting with the flow of the game. Just the the way it works, the the challenge system, it, it's so instantaneous, and the way they have the video screen and the crowd gets into it when they're replaying the uh, the play. So it, it it doesn't interfere with the flow of the game. Whereas you know we'll be watching NFL games on Sunday this week, and it's like oh my god, I'm gonna go for a jog while they review this play. And they have like a countdown to to try to make it quicker, but it's like two minutes. <laughs> Come on, it's it's ten seconds. If you don't see it in ten seconds, you're gonna see it in twenty two minutes. So, uh, exactly. I, I feel the same way. Yeah. All right. Great player. Uh, peak years, as I said, long behind him. But you got to respect a guy for the, that sticks around that long for a lot of reasons. It, it shows like sort of a dedication and love of the game because, I mean, his peak years probably ended in, well, 2005 was his last time that he was really at the top of the game and he stuck around and uh, continued to entertain until the end so uh, hopefully he has a, a good career a good retirement I should say I'm sure he will as I said a lot of career winnings there so he'll enjoy that um, and Australia is not a bad play not a bad place to be to uh, set off and retire either yeah yeah it's a, it's a nice sunny destination there uh, all right. Uh, any other highlights uh, that you've uh, noticed? Uh, I've been watching the Canadians really closely in the early part of the week. Uh, a little bit of other action as well. It's tough to watch over here because it is in the middle of the night. But uh, well, tough for you. Yeah. <laughs> for me, it's quite my favorite tournament because it actually fits with my uh, uh, where when I'm uh, awake, and it's usually it's in the middle of the night. So yeah. Yeah, I, a couple upsets on the women's side. Uh, Venus went out. Uh, I think that uh, she kind of went out with a little bit of a whimper. There wasn't much of a, a fight back in that match. Uh, surprised a lot of people there. Um, anything that's jumping out at you, Kevin? Uh, I really liked Mia Milos yesterday. Yes, it took some tiebreakers, and you were joking when we were doing the pr- production of the show as uh, he should have seven, six tattoos somewhere in his body. Well, yeah. that's what happens. When the other guy is able to figure out how not to get broken his serve, well, you're going to get there because Milos's first big weapon is his serve. So when he's not able to break the other guy's serve, it's going to go to a tiebreaker. And usually on the tiebreaker, the serve will make him win. And that's what we're seeing twice. And that he got the break in the third set. So it's still a three-set victory, straight victory for Milos Raonic, uh, seeded number 13, who defeated Tommy Roberto. Moving into the third round, so it's uh, slowly moving on for Milos. Nothing spectacular, you're going to say, but that's what you want because you're slowly building confidence. It's the first big tournament of the year. So Milos slowly is laying the the groundwork for maybe a potential upset in the fourth round where he can actually defeat a big name. One thing I like about Milos, and uh, you know, this is Canadian-centric, but I think he is an interesting story point or talking point for, for anyone, really, is that he is very noticeably trying to change his game to he's going to the net constantly right now trying to get that volley game going trying to to make it so that he's much more effective especially on return to serve to try and attack that point and uh well he's he's going to the net off the serve obviously but in terms of his uh, attacking the the return serve is something he's really working on it's not necessarily all there yet kevin no, and he doesn't want to be as predictable as before as well because when you know he's just going to serve and trying to keep you far and serve and trying to, to win his serve, you kind of predict, kind of anticipate what he's going to do. If he goes to the net when you don't anticipate it, it's going to make you think uh, for a fraction of a second what to do with the ball when it's your time to return. So the fact that he's trying to not to be as predictable on the court makes it for a better all-around game. It makes for a, 
a difficult anticipation for the opponent of what Milos is going to do, where he's going to be on the court. And that's what you want. You want to keep your opponent guessing on the court because then it gives you a certain advantage, a certain uh, uh, chaos on the court, but can make it the, uh, the volley that would be defensive on any occasion because you're placed differently could be offensive and you can finish the point there. So Milos is really trying to work on that aspect of his game. Yeah. And I think that he's doing so, so in these early rounds, especially he's trying to force this issue because he realizes that, that he can get to a certain point, but right now, unless his game, his game evolves a bit more, um, he's probably peaking out around eight, nine in the world. And that's amazing, an amazing accomplishment, obviously. But if you want to really compete for the top player in the world, you, you need to have a fuller game than he's had so far. And he's noticeably working on that. Uh, you know, a lot of people watching the game, the match here in Canada yesterday were, were frustrated by his inability to break. He only got one break in the match. It was the deciding game of the third set after winning the first two in the tiebreaker. Handled those tiebreakers pretty easily. He is dominant in the tiebreaker because of his serve uh, he's not really touchable and he hasn't dropped a serve ga- service game yet so you know good times ahead here uh it's going to get tougher obviously uh but uh it's, it's another third round appearance for him uh there's a long time in the history of the game here in canada kevin we're getting to the third round of a major would have been a would have been a, an accomplishment that would have been drawing headlines now it's it's commonplace for for milos that used to be for front page of sports news section I remember yeah. Sébastien Laroux when he won like a second round in Montreal in 99 or something. It was front page. Yeah. So he's going to face Victor Troiki, who's seated number 21 uh, in the third round. So Raonic, uh, if he wins that match, he's going to face Wawrinka in the fourth round, who is actually facing Russell in the third round. But let's face it, Wawrinka seated four. Russell is not even seated. So Wawrinka logically would move on. So Raonic has a big task after Troiki. But that's why he needs to confident because he needs to be Wawrinka if he wants to move on. And that's going to happen in the fourth round. But first, it's Troiki tomorrow night. Which is a, which will be a, a, a tough one, I think. But uh, certainly that will test his game a little bit more. I do like the way he's playing right now. I, I do think that uh, his injuries last year may have ended up being a blessing in disguise because I think it allowed him to get on that practice court and evolve his game a bit more. Um, we don't mean to be this an entirely Canadian focus, but as I said, this is a, it's early rounds and this is a lot of our focus has been on that. Um, I don't think people – if there's any international listeners out there, I'm not sure you realize how uh, – popular these uh, tennis athletes are in this country now that uh, they get a lot of press and if they ever win win a grand slam my my heavens though the <laughs> they the world is theirs at that point in this country they will be legends there'll be a parade i'm not i wouldn't be even surprised if there's like a parade or something if genie or Melos wins a major yeah uh, i suppose we should um, I, I did want to before we, we'll talk about Jeannie last, but uh, Federer I've been watching quite a bit too uh, certainly it looks like his his illness has gone has passed he's just he's on cruise control is the only way to he's such a smooth player Kevin and he yeah. certainly has looked very very solid so far and I look forward to watching uh, watching him any uh, any other uh, takeaways that you have before we move on and talk a bit about Jeannie and uh, and the women's side no uh, exactly Federer is uh, really playing like Federer smooth silky almost and now he's going to face Dimitrov in the third round and the winner of theme and Gauffin in the fourth round so pretty smooth sailing road to the quarters for 
Fedegayak, where he probably going to face the the toughest opponent for the quarters will be either Berges, Kyrgios, or Silic, depending on if British can get past Nick Kyrgios, the bad boy of tennis, or if Marianne Silic can move on uh, and upset a British in uh, the third or the fourth round. So it's smooth sailing up until the quarters where maybe a British can step in his way. British kind of has a Federer's number, so that could be really interesting. But up to the quarters, it's going to be really, yeah, kind of easy for Federer. Yeah. Um, on the women's side, you know, there, there have been a couple upsets in there. It certainly is opening up for Williams to to, to march. We'll see. Uh, that, uh, that That is how we said we set the tournament up in, the, in that way in the beginning. Uh, we well, uh, because Jeannie is done now, we well focused a little bit on her right now. Um, she was quite good in her first round match. No, that's a first round match against an unseated opponent. Once she got to the top level, it Seemed to me, Kevin, and I think I, I wrote this out on one of my social media feeds. It's that I, for those that aren't aware of, of sports psychology, there is a theory, and I think I spoke in this in the last show too, called inverted U. And basically, what that means is that if you over try, your performance decreases. And I maintain that that is Jeannie's biggest issue. Games, matches get in her head, and she starts to press the issue. She starts to over try, and her performance goes down. She got up the break in the first set, and it seemed like she suddenly realized where she was and she reverted back to her bad old habits. She's trying to hit winners from ridiculous places and she's making so many unforced errors that she's just not able to get to the level where she was when she was playing a little bit smoother, a little bit freer uh, back in her early uh, part of, well, she's still early in her career, back when she was emerging a couple of years ago uh, at, at events like this. Um, what was the reaction to, to her uh, bow, bowing out in the second round in, in her native Quebec, Kevin? I, it was a little bit surprising. It was more of, ah, uh, yeah, that's what we were expecting. Oh, yeah, the, it figures. It, it was Rodrenska, who's top five in the world. Yeah. Well, so I'm... you're you're not like, oh, it's it's a, no. It's more like she tried her best. And she didn't necessarily achieved anything, but at least she tried harder. She showed some great things in her first match. Uh, but for me, it's I, I think you're right when the mental aspect of it. But not just that. I think it's literally she doesn't have the weapons that she used to have. I think the changing of coaches, the the changing of strategies, the changing of how should I hit the ball all the time and the work with different coaches over the last 13 months makes for a lot of questions when you're trying to hit the ball. And when you're trying to when you're trying to answer a question instead of just playing free, well, you don't have necessarily the same result. You can do great things here and there, but once the opposition push you to your limit, the bad habits of the past are going to show up if you're not used to the new techniques or the new way to play the game that you're shown by your new coaches. So I think it's all a part of a of a modification of her actual play and the, the, the work with the new coaches is a work in progress. So we don't see the result right now. We'll probably see them at the US Open. But uh, she was for years with the same coach and when I say years, it was decades. So it's the transition after that is hard, and we see this when the tennis player is pushed, when she's uh, has some pressure on her, when she's going to lose. If there's a so, that's what we saw with Jeannie in her second match later on, and after she lost the advantage she had at first set. Yeah, a lot of people are just going to look at the bottom line and think that she failed. But to me, I have seen some some good signs that that she is getting back to where she was in terms of her form. So I think it'll be good for her to go down, play some minor events, uh, go for runs in minor events, get some wins under her belt. Because last year, as I said, it was a train wreck. She was losing in the first round at those minor events, whereas – 
prior to the Australian Open, she, of course, went to the final. So I think she needs to do a bit more of that, get her confidence back, get her rating points back too because a big part of the problem in this draw is she ran into someone that, uh, that in previous years she wouldn't have hit to the quarters probably, right? And she's exactly. getting in the second round. So – so that's just a bad luck draw, and you need to get your you need to get back up into the seated part of the draw to, it's to avoid be even that. Harder because with her result in the Australian Open, Wayne, she's dropping out of the top fifty. So not only will it be hard for her for the seeding, it'll be hard for her to get into some higher up tournament where there's only 45, 50 players. If she gets outside of that, she will be hard for her to even get into those big Masters tournaments. So, uh, yeah, it's not going to be smooth sailing for Jeannie. She has a lot of work to do, and it's a grassroots work where she has to build back not just the confidence and the play, but the rankings, the points, and the base of uh, that to be able to achieve the next level because, again, her opposition will be harder and harder. So, especially in the first rounds, Second rounds of major tournaments. So, yeah, it'll be, for her, it's probably going to be even harder than the first time she climbed uh, the rankings. Yeah, she is lucky that her profile will probably uh, allow her to get some wild card entries into mm-hmm. tournaments that she might not otherwise qualify for. But uh, Exactly. And she, you know, I think she is below her, her natural ranking place. I, I don't think she's, you know, her game is not, it's an in-between where it was. She's not the Wimbledon finalist on any consistency, consistent basis, but she's not, bottom 50 in the world either right like sorry the back half of the top 50 <laughs> she's so that's, top, maybe top 10 top 5 uh, between top 5 and top 10 we'll see if she can get back there look at just Wozniacki who was top 1 what 2 years ago look where she is today it's an ever evolving game in the women's side there's Serena and the rest we keep on saying but the rest changed really quickly and it's crazy how 12-18 months can just totally changed the landscape of women's tennis. Some uh, some are one-hit wonders. Some are there to stay. It's going to be interesting to see where Jeannie fits in those categories too. It, was it a fluke? Was it a, a uh, one-hit wonder? Was it just a single top-of-the-chart hit and then we never hear from that band again? Maybe. But Jeannie Bouchard and her Jeannie Army needs to make sure that now, like basically yes, last year was her sophomore slump. Now she needs to get back out of it and it's never easy. Yeah, I, I like I said, I look at that first run when I look at her run in the, the minor tournament before that. So I, I, I'm not as worried as maybe others be. And I think getting out of the spotlight will be good for her as well. OK, quickly before we have to wrap the show up, we, we should probably touch on some of the, the the fixing stuff that's been going on a little bit. We talked about that on uh, our Five Rings show earlier this week in great detail. So if you want to check that out, it's a Five Rings podcast. We talked in detail, as I said, about tennis match fixing. Um, all of the players are getting asked the question right now, and it, it has to be a bit of a distraction to them. And they're getting a little testy about the answers, Kevin. Uh, Djokovic in particular has been um, admitted that he was uh, that he had an, an offer. Um, he's dismissed the, the value of that. Um, I don't know what more to say on this other than this is an ongoing issue that's not going to go away anytime soon, and that's a good thing. Other than I do wish – I don't think necessarily the journalists are always asking the right question. They're, they're focused on the throwing of the entire match rather than the spot-fixing aspect of that, and I think that's the questions you start to need to ask. Is, you know, you know, I know you've never – And that's a question you're not going to get answers from. If yeah. they open that kind of worms, can you imagine? Makes everything else into questions. If they say, yeah, here and there, it, I had the offer of just throwing a point and uh, I didn't do it. Really? You didn't do it? Is there any way to prove that you didn't do it to do it? Yeah, it opens up just a big can of worms if they ever admit or answer a question about that. Yeah, I, I have been toying in my mind whether the, the answer to, to get at this is to offer amnesty to, to anyone that comes forward right now, that if you admit to it and you tell them how this happened and work with authorities to try and 
understand how the situation arose and, and how to fix it moving forward that you won't receive any you know, maybe you don't even get you, maybe it's not even publicized maybe you're just doing it the tennis I'm, I'm okay with secrecy if it's going, going to help uh, get rid of it moving forward so that might be one way to do it to, to offer the players like the ability to come forward freely but but we'll see um okay that's how to end the show real quickly Kevin you were looking at the doubles draw uh, some some Canadian news there Uh, yes, uh, Nestor Stepanek uh, lost the second set of the first round. They're now in the second round of the uh, doubles bracket. Pospisil's sock are ninth, seeded ninth, and it's going to be interesting. The Bryant brothers, which are a basically a legend team in the history of doubles, one of the winniest partnership and their brothers on top of it in the history of doubles tennis, one of the uh, team that Nestor faced for a decade now, it's interesting to see they have a shot of maybe facing each other in the actual final if everything goes same for Pospisil and Sock. Uh, but Pospisil and Sock are in the same ha- bottom half of the bracket as Nestor and Stepanek. So that could be really interesting. If everything goes the way it should for our sake, Nestor Stepanek can face Pospisil Sock in the semifinal of the Australian Open doubles tournament in the men's side. And that would be really interesting because Nestor and Pospisil are part-time partners, uh, especially for the Davis Cup and the Olympic Games. So they do play sometimes during the season together to ramp up to those tournaments. So to, to see them face each other in this uh, semifinal of a Grand Slam first, we'll make sure that one of them goes to the final, which is awesome. But not just that, it makes for a little nice story, a nice uh, camaraderie outside the court where one can... Uh, trip the other one if he beats it so uh, a good story that can happen there if both of them can win their matches up to the semifinals real quickly i did get a kick out of stepanek and uh, nestor their first round opponents uh, the combined age of nestor and stepanek <laughs> is, is 83 i believe the combined age of their opponents was 42 or 43 so <laughs> kind of funny that yeah and there's a lot of those names too if you've been following tennis or doubles for a long time Leander Paesh, Mesh, Bupati. They're not playing together, but they're still playing with different partners. A lot of doubles mainstays are actually just playing doubles, mixed doubles, and stuff like that. Mixed doubles. That's a, another side of the uh, grand slam we should talk about maybe next week on the show where it's interesting because we had Martina Ingis making a comeback and playing up until last year. So there's a lot of uh, great names from the past and great stories that happens in the doubles side uh, with names like Bupati, Paesh, which have been playing for like 25 years on the higher level of the doubles game. So a lot of great stories when you look at the doubles draw. Fair enough. And if you you look, you can find those streams out there. Often the stadium experience, which uh, you don't get bothered by the commentators when that happens when you watch those doubles games often. So, all right, we'll be back on the weekend to set up the second uh, week of the of the tournament. Uh, and then we'll come back uh, next week and give you some more coverage there. But in the meantime, Kevin, I will say goodbye to you. And it's game, set, match for today's show. You were listening to SPN, the Sports Podcasting Network. Visit us sportspodcastingnetwork.com